You are listening to An Ounce, Season 2, Episode 39, The Brilliance of Theodore. You are listening to An Ounce, a podcast providing inspiration, ideas, and wisdom through engaging stories, commentary, and interviews so you can live life better. I'm Jim Fugate, and it's my privilege to share an ounce with you. Before we get rolling with our story, I just wanted to say thank you. Thank you to those listeners from around the world in places like Clichy, Ile de France. I worked on that pronunciation. It's probably wrong. <laughs> but we also have listeners in Iran, St. George, and many other locations in Utah, Montana, Ohio, Texas, West Virginia, Virginia, Maryland, Australia, Asia, and too many other places to mention. I'm grateful that you take the time to listen for a few minutes. I hope you smile and are at least a little inspired by what you find here. Would love to hear from you, ideas, suggestions, thoughts. Send me a note at jim at anounce.org. That's one word, anounce.org. Jim at anounce.org. The Brilliance of Theodore. Theodore was born in Springfield, Massachusetts on March 2, 1904. He was born to a German family who were considered prosperous, but as World War I broke out, their German heritage brought them under suspicion, as it did every German in the United States. It was a time when the German Frankfurter became the hot dog and sauerkraut became Liberty Cabbage. Regardless of the attitudes of others, the family continued to thrive, though an occasional target of anti-German bullies. Theodore was not big or strong or a skilled fighter, but he did possess an ingenious and creative mind. And he loved to participate in Boy Scouts, Troop Number 13, in Springfield, Massachusetts. In 1918, at the age of 14, Theodore's enterprising nature led him to be one of the top 10 salesmen of war bonds in his Springfield, Massachusetts Boy Scouts organization. And, as a result, he had the opportunity to meet a famous and patriotic president of the United States, with whom he shared a first name, President Theodore Roosevelt. On the appointed day, Theodore, along with nine of his peers, were lined up on stage at the Springfield Municipal Auditorium, where he awaited his turn to have his namesake, Theodore Roosevelt, that great hero and president, pin a medal on his chest, proving him to be a great American. After all, he and his family had endured from the anti-German sentiment of neighbors in Springfield, he was to be exonerated, and his devotion to his country proven. There was a little mix-up, however. In all the bustle, the president was handed only nine medals for the ten scouts on the stage. Theodore, last in line, was left standing face-to-face -face with the president of the United States, who assumed that since the medals were all handed out, this young man was just a ne'er-do-well, trying to get attention. What's this young man doing here, he shouted, and ordered him removed from the stage. Instantly, Theodore's anticipated honor and exoneration became embarrassment and humiliation. Theodore was hustled off the stage by his troop leader. The trauma of this event pushed him into fear and recoil from speaking in public. He hated being the focus of attention, and though, in time, he became a well-known personality throughout the entire world, he was seldom seen or heard from directly. However, with the creative genius that drove him, Theodore did not 
remained silent. He attended Dartmouth College, and there was the editor of the school's humor magazine. It was an incident involving an illegal bootleg gin, which caused the dean of the school to oust Theodore as the editor of that magazine. But, using his mother's maiden name, he continued to contribute under an assumed name. And it's by that nom de plume that most of us know him today. After graduating from Dartmouth, he studied Oxford, where he met his wife Helen, who encouraged him to become a professional illustrator. During his career, Theodore worked as an ad man, creating humorous advertisements for Flit Bug Spray, and also in campaigns for Ford Motor Company, the National Broadcasting Company, and the Narragansett Brewing Company. For Esolube Motor Oil, he created the wacky Moto Raspus and Carbonacus characters. But his start was hard won. In 1937, he created a children's book, and after being rejected by the 27th publisher, feeling a bit sorry for himself, he went for a walk on Madison Avenue and ran into an old friend from Dartmouth College. This chance meeting with this friend, now working for Vanguard Press, was the break he needed. A contract was signed a few hours later. Theodore said, If I'd been going down the other side of Madison Avenue, I'd be in the dry-cleaning business today. That book became a bestseller. In 1943, during the Second World War, Theodore joined the Army as a captain in Frank Capra's U.S. Army Signal Corps. He worked closely with animators such as Chuck Jones and Fritz Freeling to advance the war effort. This well-known cartoonist and author continued writing and illustrating until his death in 1991. He created 48 iconic books, which have sold over 200 million copies and counting. Some have been made into TV specials and blockbuster movies. Theodore Geisel, under his pen name Dr. Zeus, first wrote and illustrated To Think I Saw It on Mulberry Street. And this was followed by The Cat in the Hat, Green Eggs and Ham, the Grinch Who Stole Christmas. Oh, the places you'll go. One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish, and The Sneetches, and so many other love stories. Theodore Seuss Geisel was an uncommon, unknown creator who loved the attention given to his creations, but stayed away from the limelight on himself. He was an unknown celebrity. But... I guess you might avoid public attention, too. After being humiliated on stage by the old bull moose, Theodore Roosevelt. So here's the ounce. The uncommon, unknown creator may be more common than you might think. There are so many we've never met whose efforts have and will continue to be unrecognized. While their work and influence have made and will continue to make an indelible impact on us, people in our personal history, on whose shoulders we stand, invisible technicians and workers, laborers and geeks who make our modern world work, nameless heroes who gave their lives, in death or in lifelong service, keeping us safe and establishing and maintaining our God-given rights. We are so lucky to have so many examples, big or small, of nameless and faithless, uncommon people. Many who don't even know their own worth. They are more common than not. Look around a little, and you'll see them. Be grateful. And that's it. An ounce submitted for your consideration. On our next episode, 
we will discuss the question posed by Juliet in the play by William Shakespeare, What's in a Name? You won't want to miss this thought-provoking and humorous exploration of what is in a name. I'm Jim Fugate, and I'll catch you next time. That's an ounce for now. Thanks for listening and subscribing to this podcast. Listen again for more information, ideas, and wisdom an ounce at a time. with these words from a genius named Seuss for the next time you're feeling shut in or obtuse from the tail of a cat the cat in the hat the sun did not shine it was too wet to play so we sat in the house all that cold cold wet day I sat there with Sally we sat there we too and I said how I wish we had something to do too wet to go out too cold to play ball so we sat in the house we did nothing at all. So all we could do was to sit, 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 sit. And we did not like it, no, not one little bit. And then something went bump. And how that bump made us jump. We looked. Then we saw him step out on the mat. We looked and we saw him, the cat in the hat. And he said to us, Why do you sit there like that? I know it is wet and the sun is not sunny. But we can have lots of good fun that is funny. Dang it. Hey, check out our YouTube videos at youtube.com forward slash at an ounce podcast. That's youtube.com forward slash at symbol an ounce podcast.